Tappers, what's up? It is the Monday edition of the Daily Tap for March 1st. Yes, this is March. Hope everybody had a good weekend. Enjoyed the warmer than recent Wisconsin weather. We have an awesome show today. Very excited for today, mostly to talk about the Bucs um, and signature wins and why that matters and why it's important for a team like Milwaukee. Giannis being the best player right now in the NBA um, also will be discussed. It's Brewer excitement, a um, few Brewer notes over the weekend uh, during their game against the Chicago White Sox that I thought were worth mentioning. Packers and Chiefs in 2021, we'll talk a little bit about that. And lastly, like I said the week prior, we're going to bring a little more golf in just because golf is in such a good spot. We're going to talk about where Colin Marikawa could go and where if he is the next great golfer. And we've done this before with a lot of golfers in their youth, and we are probably going to do it again with Morikawa. But let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Milwaukee Bucks had themselves a signature win. They beat the Los Angeles Clippers 105 to 100. And I think the way they beat the Clippers made it more special. Now, there will be a lot of people who say signature wins in the regular season do not matter or they're not important or whatever. I push back a little bit on that. And here, here's kind of why. So if you think about what the Bucks have done this season, they haven't really beat a good team, a great team, I should say. I shouldn't say a good team. They'd be a few good teams. But they haven't really beat a great team. And if you look at the Bucks season before this game last night, it's like, what is that one win that you that stands out? I'd probably the Denver win in Mile High, um, where the Bucks sort of dominated the Nuggets in the second half and sort of dump trucked them. It was the first time that the Bucks really buried a team, kind of looked like the old Bucks, where they got hot in the third quarter and there was just no slowing them down. I think the Miami Heat win when they put up 144 on the Heat, I think was also a eye-popping result and something Milwaukee's resume to sort of start this season. Like I, I think that there are some some of those games look good, but at the end of the day, none of them really had that oomph like the Clippers win would if the Bucks were to win it. And I we had talked a little bit last week about that the Bucks needed this win from an optics perspective. And that is exactly why I think the signature win matters is because I think everybody's eyes should be opened up with the Milwaukee Bucks. I think the five-game losing streak was one thing. Now that is completely gone. That has been wasted away. It doesn't matter anymore. Milwaukee right now, I mean, they were all over the place in in February. And they won four, four straight. They lost five straight. Then they won five straight again. This is from our guy, Mitch Ross, who had that. Like, that's crazy, right? Like, they they didn't really have the consistency. I think if you were to ask Bucks fans, what would you prefer? I think they would tell you, well, I would just rather have kind of spread out my wins and not necessarily had all these losses. But it happens, right? And the Lakers went through it a little bit. Now the Lakers have figured it out. They had a big win against the Warriors last night after having a big win against the Portland Trailblazers the night prior. So the Lakers are starting to figure it out after kind of going through a blip. And so the Bucks have kind of broke past that blip, and now you have Drew Holiday back, who had COVID, and now is now is back in the lineup. He's not going to start, I don't think, 
for the rest of the first half of the season. They're going to ease him back in. But Holiday brings something, especially in the late game. And so having Holiday in those clutch moments yesterday was so important. And such a vital part of why the Bucs won this game was having his defense, having sort of his leadership, that last play that sprung the Giannis dunk, it starts with Holiday. It starts with Holiday controlling outside the paint. And so having him back with the Bucs is so important. And it was really great to see Holiday sort of make a little bit of an impact, especially late, since he didn't really have that great of a game. Like he was rusty. And I don't think any of us are going to like fault him for that, right? So, and I, and I really like what he can do in the next two games when going up against Jamal Murray and John Morant. I think like those are perfect situations of why you have a guy like Drew Holiday. And I, I think that you're going to see Holiday, even in limited minutes those, in those two games, slow down some of the better premier perimeter players in the NBA. So you have this win now where... People can look at it and say, all right, the Bucks, Bucks are a little bit maybe better than we thought they were. I mean, the Bucks go on this five-game losing streak. People are kind of throwing dirt on the Bucks. People are kind of saying it's the same old Bucks. It's the Bucks that we know we know they might even be worse than last year and and all this stuff. And then they win five straight. They beat a Clippers team that people like. I, I would say the Clippers and the Bucks are a little bit of a Spider-Man meme where they're both teams where postseason matters for for these organizations and what they do in the postseason is really dependent on how good of a season they have. But now you have this Clippers win and you have a win where you closed out the Clippers. This was not a game where the Bucs had a lead and they hung on for dear life against Kawhi and Paul George. No, they were down four points. They were down four points. It was 196 Kawhi hits another mid-range shot, and I like tweeted out like I was like, guys, you gotta move Kawhi off his spot. Like if you do not move Kawhi off that mid-range spot, you're gonna lose this game. And what do the Bucks do? They turn around and they put Giannis on Kawhi. Giannis starts taking over. Giannis had 17 points in the final five minutes of this game. He made six baskets. He also had a monster block. He had also had a really good play against Kawhi when he was ready to take a mid-range jumper and force a turnover. Giannis and he hit a couple big free throws like Giannis was incredible in this game and we'll talk about Giannis here in a second but the fact is is like they closed out a team and and I watched that and, and like I, we haven't seen this like we just haven't this has not been a Bucks thing that we've seen this year years prior like it's just not part of what their repertoire has been and so to see this kind of game it it and I know it's one game, so you don't want to overreact. But you also had the New Orleans game on, on Thursday night where they closed that one out as well. And you're starting to feel a little bit better about the Bucks' chances come come May and June when the playoffs are here. Because it, it seems like they're a little bit different in those late-game stretches. Yeah, do the Bucks have need to add maybe one or two more guys or need to get rid of Brooke Lopez? I think so. Um, I've, I've had enough with Brooke Lopez, I think. Watching him yesterday was infuriating. He was bad. He was really bad. And he, you know, drops down, lets Marcus Morris hit a three that I think that pushed it out to four at the time. And it was like, if he just stays on Marcus Morris, they don't score. And because he he went off his spot, Morris then hits a three. I just don't know what 
Lopez can do at this point. He's not really that great in terms of the skills. He looks slow. He just looks like he's over the hell, unfortunately. And it's it's too bad. It's a, it's a bummer. But Brooke has definitely taken a step back this year. And you have to explore potentially some other options inside. Whether it is you ride with Portis, who's been amazing on your second unit, and you just get another guard out there, another forward, or you you know you just look for another big man to kind of replace what Lopez is doing. But who knows? I mean, maybe Brook just has to kind of reinvent himself, and maybe Brook Lopez has to figure out the another iteration of his career because the Bucks are kind of cash strapped. They don't have a ton of roster space, and it might not be able, you might not be able to move him. So. I'll, we'll see. I think that's going to be a big storyline um, down the stretch. But to kind of go back to Positive Town for a second here, like, yeah, this is this looks different. And I think because it looks different, you have to be encouraged and you have to say that this is a signature win for the Bucks because things did not seem the same. It did not seem like the same old Bucks. It did not seem like the things that we that would plague this Milwaukee team. Are they going to close out every game here on out? Probably not, right? But are they going to, but who knows, right? You never know. Like they were, they were 0 and 11 and, you know, trailing or tied at halftime, heading into last Thursday against the Pelicans. They won that game. They're now one, they were 1 and 11. They now won against the Clippers. They've now won their last two in those scenarios. And the, so now they've played 13 games where they've trailed or been tied at halftime. This whole season already. And you compare that to last year and it's night and day. And I know they keep asking Giannis about this after games. Lisa Salters asked him after the Clippers win. It is really good for the Bucks, And it you're seeing it now. Like it, it took a while. But you're kind of seeing why that's important for Milwaukee. And they, they've been really impressive. And they've been really impressive these last two games down the stretch especially Giannis Antetokounmpo. Let's talk about the Greek freak a little bit more. So Giannis Antetokounmpo should be the top story in the NBA this weekend. I think if you were to say what won the weekend or what is the big pullout from from this weekend, it is Giannis Antetokounmpo, no question about it. New York Knicks might have a case, right? The Knicks are above 500. They beat the Detroit Pistons last night, and I believe they beat, oh, they beat the Indiana Pacers and the Sacramento Kings. So they've won the last three games. Knicks are pretty good. They're also a team that is undervalued by Vegas thus far. Um, just a little hint there for you. So, like, I think the Knicks and the Bucks are probably the two biggest stories from this weekend. And it was frustrating to see, and I, I know he's just one guy, but it was frustrating to see Bill Simmons, like, talk about the Utah Jazz. And it's like, I know the Utah Jazz have been really good. I know the Utah Jazz are having a bucks like season. But Utah has, you know, Utah lost to Miami this weekend. They did beat the Magic, but, I mean, the Magic aren't that great. So it's like, I don't know, is Utah really that story? Are we still talking about Utah? I feel like the Bucks should be what people lead with. Now, I'm not watching first take. I'm not watching get up this morning. I don't have it on my TV as I'm podcasting. I also don't have Undisputed on, which is the Skip Bayless show or Colin Coward. But I, I feel like if you're going to be talking about the NBA this weekend, it is Giannis Antetokounmpo's play of late. Can he realistically be a candidate for MVP? And where is the Bucks ceiling now? And I, I want to do like next step with Giannis. 
Um, basically tomorrow with Mitch, we were doing having a keg tonight. Like I want to talk about if Giannis has taken the next step because I think he has. And I, I think he is at another level somehow. And we've we've talked about this before, so I don't want to spoil it too much. But that's what you can look forward to tomorrow. But as for the media attention, it's like, yes, the Bucks should be getting the hype right now. Because you had a week, also too, you had a weekend, not to add to this, but you had a weekend where Philadelphia lost an overtime at home to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, I know the Cleveland Cavaliers have been better the last few games, but that's an inexcusable loss. You're a 10.5-point favorite. Like, there's no reason Philadelphia should have lost to Cleveland. And then for Brooklyn, you didn't have Kyrie Irving against against Dallas, and so you lose, you get blown out by a Mavericks team who's playing a little bit better, and it was just James Harden. And I think your question with Brooklyn is, like, are they going to be able to stay healthy to, to kind of see this out. Like Durant's had that hamstring injury. It's going to keep him out past the all-star break. I think Giannis now is moved into the team captain role. Or I don't know, is Durant going to still pick guys? I have, I have no idea. I don't really care that much, I'll be honest. Um, but then you also have Kyrie who's battling a shoulder thing. So it's like, can Brooklyn stay healthy? So all, all of a sudden, you look at Milwaukee, and Milwaukee's one game back right now of the one seed. After all the shit we've went through, Mar- uh, Milwaukee is almost a one seed. They're almost a one seed right now. And that will be wild if when the dust settles on Thursday night, when the Bucks are the one seed in the East heading into the All-Star break. That'd be absolutely absurd, right? Like the fact the Bucks have been sort of hanging out and they just made their final push. And I said, after their five-game losing streak, I said, this is the most important stretch of Mike Boonholzer's Bucks career. And he's passed with flying colors. Now, even if they lose to Denver and Memphis, which would be disappointing, it still would be a really strong finish to this first half. You went five and two after losing five straight. Yeah, you lost the last two, which suck. But the fact is, is like, you are in a really good spot going forward. And I look at what the Bucs have been doing. And if you are still sort of hating on the Bucs at a national level or even a local level, you're just not paying attention. You're not seeing what Giannis is doing. You're not seeing what they're doing late game, the adjustments made. Like we all talk about how Bud doesn't make adjustments. He held Zion to 10 points in the second half on Thursday. I mentioned this on Friday, but worth repeating. Zion was a monster in that first half. Zion could not be stopped. They completely changed their defense on Zion in the second half. He only scores 10 points. On Sunday, you had Kawhi Leonard going off in the fourth quarter and finding his mid-range spot. You move Giannis on him, and he doesn't score a basket for the final four minutes. Mike Boonholzer deserves that credit. So I hope that there are people who are smart enough to sort of say, all right, you know what, I've given Bud a lot of shit, but Bud has done some really good things lately because that's what you need to be doing. Um, we'll, we'll see, though. We'll see if people are, are are going to react that way or they're going to kind of stick their feet in the sand and stay in that Bud should not be the coach anymore, which I, the more I, I think about that, the more it was kind of wild. I do think if things would have continued to spiral downhill, they might have had to look at it a little bit harder. But yeah, it's it's wild that we were even there with Mike Boonholzer. Now, I do think if they have an early exit in the playoffs, then yeah, it's probably 
Bud's probably going to be gone, and that and that's going to happen. But I think that's understood by him. I think that's understood by Giannis. I think that's understood by Holiday Middleton. I think all those people understand it. So yes, the Bucks should be the story of the NBA right now. Uh, if they're not, you know what? So be it. And I'm not going to get too wound up about it. But it's just it's classic, right? It's it's how it goes. And I know the Bucks don't drive the views like other teams. It's crazy, right? Like. I, I looked up um, before the Pelicans game on Thursday. I looked up like where do team where does the where do the Pelicans stand in the ratings? Because I'm like, wow, they get so many national games. And I think we've all talked about it. And they are playing next Thursday night against the Heat. They're on they're on again. They're on TNT that night. And you look and the Pelicans right now rank seventh in ratings. They actually outrate the Bucks. And so it's like, all right, well, it makes sense. And it also makes sense why people don't want to talk about the books. But I think it's worth mentioning Giannis is on another level right now. We'll talk about that tomorrow in greater detail. Excited to do that with Mitch Ross. All right, let's move topics. Let's talk about the Brewers. The Brewers had their first spring training game on Sunday. They started with a bang. They won 7-2. to They hit five home runs. Uh, the wind was blowing, so it kind of helped. Uh, but there were two nuggets that I really liked from from Sunday. I think they were both from Will Salmon, who's the athletic writer for the Brewers, that Avisail Garcia has lost four, 36 pounds over the offseason. Still, still says he's keeping his strength, but he's lost 36 pounds. You also had Eric Lauer, who the Brewers traded for. And Eric Lauer had a shoulder injury where he had a torn capsule in his shoulder, throwing shoulder. I, first of all, that sounds brutal. I don't know what that means. I guess that's right around your rotator cuff. Again, not a doctor. Uh, we could ask Seth, if Dr. Big Cat, a.k.a., what, what that looks like. But he basically had a, he thought it was like a strain. It ended up being like a torn muscle. So that's been fixed for Lauer. So now the question is, what sort of excites you more? Is it the Garcia weight loss, or is it the fact Eric Lauer wasn't pitching 100% last year? I kind of lean Lauer here, only because I think if you get like Eric Lauer to be a really good fourth starter, the Brewers' rotation is absurd, or the third starter, right? Like if Lauer or Adrian Hauser have a big year, they are, that that makes the Brewers so much better if you expect that Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff keep doing their thing, which I do, and I, I think everyone should. So it's like if you can get Lauer to sort of find it again, and not really even find it again, find it, like hit his potential. He, you know, has not really lived up to it so far. It would A, make the Trent Grisham trade worth it. Like I know a lot of people look at what Trent Grisham has done for uh, San Diego, and by the way, I think he had a home run in the first spring training game. Like that would at least help aid some of that. I think a lot of people would alleviate some of the the Trent Grisham hand wringing of like, why do we trade Trent Grisham? Because of if Eric Lauer can step up and have a really good year, I think that makes that conversation go away. I don't think a lot of people are talking about that. And then for Avi Garcia, I think it just justifies the signing. And you have to be impressed with a guy like Garcia. Garcia is getting paid, what, $20 million guaranteed for the two years. He already got one. I think there's a club option for a third year. 
And Garcia took it upon himself to say, I was too heavy last year. And whether that was a quarantine thing or whatever, and said, I was not at a good playing weight. And he drops 36 pounds. That is, you got to appreciate that because he could easily have mailed it in. He could have easily pulled a Bill Hall or Jeffrey Hammonds or um, I'm trying to think of another guy who got a big deal and sort of just slugged off. Did Jose Hernandez get paid by the Brewers? I can't remember. I don't think he did. But he was another guy who you could you could throw into that mix. Or, oh man, I'm trying to think. There are probably other notable names. Bill Hall is always the one that stands out because he got a big contract. And then it just became nothing after that for Bill Hall. But anyways, um, back to Garcia. It's like he could have easily just said, all right, whatever. I'll be fat. Like, it's okay. Like, I'll figure this out. Instead, he's like, all right, I'm going to lose 36 pounds. I'm going to keep my muscle. I'm going to keep my strength, which we saw with his home run that went over the batter's eye yesterday. Like, that's that's awesome. He also had a great uh, throw that nailed a runner at third base. So it's like, this is good stuff. And, like, I think Garcia, while he didn't have, like, a bad year, he didn't have a good year. He didn't have a standout year. He didn't have a year where it's like, wow, this was a great signing for the Brewers. So if you can get more offensive production out of Garcia on top of bringing back Lorenzo Cain, redemption year from Christian Yelich, you're going you're gonna to have some really impressive impressive offense there. And Tyrone Taylor continues to try to make himself known. Uh, he had a home run in the second straight game. He had a home run in the squad game as well, trying to get that fourth outfielder spot. I... I think you have to kind of consider Tyrone Taylor. Like, I, it's early. Like, right. Like, you look at this and you're like, all right, is he going to be a spring training all-star? And it's it's just going to kind of, you know, fizzle out. Who knows? Um, and Andy Ashby also had a really good game in the first spring training game. I think there are some that think Ashby and Ethan Small, another Brewer pitching prospect, could be up at some point in 2021. It doesn't seem like they're going to make the big league roster outright. Uh, they did lose a guy to an elbow injury, Dylan File, who was a top pitching prospect as well in that that farm system. He that he's going to be out for three to four four months, which sucks. Um, and File, I guess, had a chance at maybe being a part of the bullpen this year for the Brewers, and he won't be at this point. It sounds like the elbow, you know, that's going to keep him out. What? So it's March. It's going to keep him out till June or July, which probably means. He's not going to be ready to roll until August or September. So, yeah, that's where we are right now with the Brewers. I think we're off to a, a good start, right? I, I don't spring training. You don't want to overreact. Like I, I thought the game was on TV yesterday. It wasn't, and I texted my dad that, and because I had originally told him like, "Hey, the game's on TV," and like, "Oh, it's not," and he's like, "You know, it's more symbolic than it is like actual baseball," which is totally true. It's like you're just watching the games because it's like it means summer's close. It means that you're able to watch your team again. And that's kind of what spring training does for you. And, yeah, maybe I'm a little too excited about one spring training game where you're like, whoa, Charlie, pump the fucking brakes. And I'm not really, like, saying, all right, if you get this out of Garcia, I'm more talking about the weight loss. Yeah, he played really well in the game game on Sunday. But it's like, yeah, if he – if he continues, maybe. And we'll see if Tyrone Taylor wins the Brooks Conrad Award for spring training all-star. I mean, I, right now he's he's in the in the top, in the running. He is definitely putting his name out there. So we'll see. But yeah, it's good good start. And I'm sure we'll get more spring training notes as the weeks and months go on. You know, I think if, if you were to ask me, 
and at some point could Snowtap, you know, work their way down to spring training for a week, I think we would love to do that. I think Mitch and I would have a great time. I think we'd actually have some really good content too. Uh, but, you know, that's one of those future state plans. And that's one where you, you got to just manifest it a little bit. Speaking of manifesting. So I was on the corner that the, one of the reasons I thought that the, they were doing a 17th game for the NFL was because the Packers and Chiefs would play. And that we would get the first ever Rodgers-Mahomes matchup. And I thought the league was trying to push that because they knew the ratings that that would bring. And they knew what that could do for the next season. And and now you had Tom Brady against Indianapolis, which is also big, but not to the level of Rodgers versus Mahomes. And and, And you got robbed of it two years ago with Matt Moore. So you conveniently figure it out that, oh, the Packers and Chiefs would play with this format. Oh, would you look at that? And I think they'll try to play that game early in the season so you'd avoid either guy being hurt and just say, all right, we're going we're gonna to take the risk out of this. We are going to guarantee ourselves Rodgers and Mahomes and have these two guys play probably on Sunday Night Football. And it's it, it sucks that the game's at Arrowhead. I really hate that. I wrote about it this morning, so I don't mean to repeat myself too much here. But I, I know it's going to be a, a hot topic about... Do you like the 17th game? Are you a fan of it? I mean, I think there's two sides of me. From the, I just like good football, to get to play the Chiefs and have a Packer-Chiefs matchup is fucking awesome. That is so fun, right? That is so like exciting to have that game on the schedule yet again. I think that's that's really something that we can all sort of look forward to. But as the sort of more, I don't know how to put this, but it's not necessarily the meathead in me, but it's the kind of realistic in me is like, well, basically we just have another game that could be a loss for the Packers. That there's not a lot of those on the schedule, but like the schedule is hard enough next year. Now we're adding a 17th game to the mix. Like Jesus, like, and the games against Kansas City, like Christ, that's not, it's not going to make anybody's life easier, right? Like they have to go to Baltimore. They have to go to San Francisco. They have to go to New Orleans. Every year going to Minnesota is never fun. Like Arizona will be mostly Packer fans, but that Cardinals team will be good. So like they do not have an easy schedule as is. And then you throw Kansas City into the mix and it's like, wow, you're going to look at the Packers schedule in April and say, wow, this is going to be regression city. We're going to do this whole thing. And I guarantee you there'll be people who are like, how do you feel about the Packers? And people will chime in and say, oh, it's a 9-7 and seven season. It's an 8-8 eight eight season. Because that's what people do when they look at schedules in April and they know where their team, those teams are supposed to be. Now in fall, they could look completely different. I mean, remember, to give you a frame of reference, now they did lose one of these games. But to give you a frame of reference, remember, we looked at 2020 schedule and saw the fact that the Packers would have to play Minnesota and San Francisco in less than a two-week span because the San Francisco game is Thursday night. And everyone's like, well, that could be a two-game losing streak. People thought Minnesota would be better. Now, Packers did lose to Minnesota. I think they lost to the wrong team. Like, I think people would say, well, you'd lose to San Francisco on the road. But San Francisco was banged up, and they had COVID stuff. They played San Francisco at the perfect time of the season. I still think they would beat San Francisco in a lot of the different points of the year. Just San Francisco had a year from hell. 
And I do think they will be much better next season. And I do not look forward to playing the 49ers yet again at Levi Stadium. So I guess the case, if you were to circle back to, I'm mad it's at Arrowhead again because you played the Chiefs already at Arrowhead uh, last year. I think it's. I think you just point out the fact that this does happen. Like they played San Francisco in San Francisco last season, and that was because they were playing the NFC West on the road last year, and that's where San Francisco led. Now they're playing San Francisco again because this is their divisional rotation. And last time when they went to the divisional rotation, San Francisco was in Green Bay. Who could forget C.J. Beathard leading against Mike McCarthy um, and the Packers nearly losing, I think, as a double-digit favorite in that game. They, they pulled it out at the end with a great Aaron Rodgers drive with a Mason Crosby game-winning field goal before things fell apart for the Packers that season. Uh, but so that So that's why they're in San Francisco. And New Orleans, same reason. It, but it like the inverse. It was the rotation last year. So that's why they were at New Orleans. And then this year, they played the NFC South at, on the road while they welcomed the NFC East. And so I think that's why the football team is coming to Lambeau. Or if the Eagles were to win the division, which obviously they were a dumpster fire, they would have played the Eagles for the second straight year in Lambeau Field. A third straight year, actually. Um, think about it, which is crazy. So that just... It's so odd how this works. Sometimes it sucks. It's a ter- It sucks that we have to go to Kansas City again. But I guess I'm a li- now that I've like talked this out a little bit more. It's kind of it happens a lot, and it, it's just weird that it's happening with across AFC NFC. But I think they're trying to do this more because there's going to be some great games that you're they're going to make money off of Pittsburgh, Seattle. If the teams hold, we have no idea what Russell Wilson's going to do. Pittsburgh, Seattle, that's a big-ass game. Tampa Bay, New, uh, Indianapolis, another one that is worth talking about. As Peter King knows, Houston and Carolina could play or, so, or would play. So that could be Deshaun Watson if they trade Deshaun Watson. Maybe that puts Carolina out of the running because Houston's like, well, we don't want to trade him to, to, the te- to a team that will play this season. I don't know. But it's all interesting. I think the NFL continues to reinvent themselves and I'm here for it and I'm here for what they're doing. Um, they King also noted that there could be a wild card game on Monday. I hate that. Keep it to the weekend. I like a full wild card weekend. Don't don't bring in Monday night football for a wild card. I, I, I don't want to do it. I don't think that's fair. I think that just I and also too like how would you do that with the national championship? So you go head to head with the national championship? That seems odd, especially ESPN. If ESPN's like, oh, we want a Monday night wildcard game. Well, I guess the season will be pushed back, right? So it'll be the week after. Yeah, maybe. But but then, and then he also mentioned two Christmas Day games because the game's on Saturday. Here for that. Packers and Bucks both on Christmas. Sign me the fuck up. I'm, I'm, here, I'm here for that. All right, let's move on. All right, we'll lastly go to some golf. I need to, I need to call golf as like a segment. Because I know it's not a local thing. I said to you guys last week, I wanted to start talking about golf a little bit more because I think golf is fascinating almost every week. Now, there will be weeks where the tournament's not good or you know someone wins and it, it just doesn't matter for the like long-lasting impact of golf. But this week was great and it was a really fun course. You never knew what you were going to get with the course. But at some point on Saturday, Colin Morikawa tamed that course and he made it to his bitch. 
And he, every time you expected Morikawa to kind of crumble, you expected Morikawa to maybe make a mistake. He didn't. The dude was ice. And now you look at Morikawa. He's just turned 24. He's now won a World Golf Championship. He's won a major. He has four wins plus a major. And I think the only guys to do that before 25, it's Tiger, it's Jack, it's Arnie, it's Rory, and it might be somebody else. I think there might be Sam Snead. There, so there might be another guy. He is in rarefied air. And so you kind of wonder if Colin Morikawa is the future of golf. And we've done this before, though. So, like, it's like, yes, there is a potential that Colin Morikawa is, like, the next great golfer. And that we are witnessing, like, the start of where he is. And he's definitely a guy that you look at at the Masters and you say he should be one of the favorites. He should be in the mix. But we also have done this before with guys like Jordan Spieth, where we thought Jordan Spieth was going to be the next guy. We thought Jordan Spieth, it was next up. I mean, the guy won three fucking majors and then he just fell off a cliff and he's tried to get it back and he was great. He didn't play. I don't think he, was he in this tournament? I can't, if he was, he was unforgettable. He might not have been because his his world golf ranking is pretty low because he struggled for three years. So, but he had a really good Genesis Invitational. He obviously waste management, Pebble. Like he's put together good golf and I expect him to contend at the Masters. I think it'd be foolish not to think Spieth can't contend at Augusta in a couple months. But he fell off. So you look at a guy like Morikawa and it's like, can he kind of avoid that? It's hard. Golf is, golf's difficult, man. Golf is difficult. It's hard to stay that good. And that's what made Tiger Woods so fucking special. And it was awesome to see all the red and black out there. It was such a great tribute, such a great nod to Tiger. And, you know, he is so revered in that community. And Morikawa's comments after after winning, talking about what Tiger meant to him and how important he was. And, and it, it's just everything why I love golf right now and why I want to talk about golf every every Monday. Because I think it's worth it. I think that's where it's Tiger has made golf to where it is today. Tiger has ushered in this generation of golf. If it wasn't for Tiger, we would not be having conversations about golf every week. We would not be getting into golf like we are. The leaderboard was awesome. Leaderboard was must watch last, last, you know, yesterday. And yeah, Morikawa pulled away. Now, I saw a take that Morikawa should have played with Kepka, And would Morikawa have been able to hold up against a guy like Brooks? And I, I kind of agree that we need to start thinking through. Now, the golf like purists hate it. But we need to start thinking through what would be the best for ratings. And the best for ratings would be Morikawa and Kepka, And it shouldn't be who finishes last on the course. So you have Morikawa and Billy Horschel. And for a little bit, they were close. Morikawa got off to a slow start. And then he heated up and he, he just, he, he parked it. He, every time you thought that it was going to collapse, he didn't. And he is just an incredible approach player. His second shot is as good as anyone in golf. He is going to be a dynamite Ryder Cup player. I think he's a guy that can contend at every U.S. Open going forward. Like he just, I mean, he, his game is built for a U.S. Open. And so the question is, is like, when will we sort of start talking about Colin Marikawa like we used to with Jordan Spieth? 
I think we're kind of there. Like, I think this was an intro to, hey, don't forget about Morikawa and start mentioning him among the other guys like a John Rahm, a Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, um, Justin Thomas. Like, that's where Morikawa needs to be into that golf conversation. So huge win for him. Now you have the Arnold Palmer Invitational. It's not as deep of a field as it's been in the past, but it's a really good one. It's kind of weird now because you have the Arnold Palmer, which is a revered, um, it, it, it's, it, it's a well-liked, it's a very important tournament just based on, you know, who Arnold Palmer is. But the fact it, it but the fact is, is it's sandwiched between a world golf championship and the players championship, which is the week prior, the week after. So that's why you see a lot of guys taking time off. But we'll talk about that on Monday if it's worth it. If not, I'll just make a quick nod at the very end of our show. All right, that does it. As I mentioned, having the keg now Tuesday tonight this week, a little earlier than we've been the last couple of weeks. So we'll do that tomorrow. Mitch and I talking bucks. I'm sure talk, maybe talking a little college hoops too. It's kind of that college hoop season, right? It's March. So we'll talk, we'll talk them then to you. And that should be a good one. All right, take care, Dabbers. Have a good one. Bye.